Welcome to Road to Redemption, a show sharing powerful life testimonies, giving hope to those on their own road to redemption. Welcome to Road to Redemption. I'm John Martin, your host. I'm so excited to have my friend Jennifer Nelson with me today. Hello. Finally. Yeah. Finally get you in here. I've been seeing you going, God, what a great story. We've got to get you in to talk on Road to Redemption. So I'm so so excited we finally made this happen. How are you doing, Jennifer? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me, John. It's, um, you know, it's really exciting. And uh, I really, really appreciate you thinking of me and thinking that I, I can help in some way. Well, I know you can because your story is impactful. And just start start out, tell us a little bit about you and your background. So I'm Jennifer Nelson. I live locally in the area. I'm a mom of two. I was married to uh, active duty military for a decade and rode out three deployments with him. Um, and my sweet husband, Nathan Nelson, was catastrophically injured on his third tour. He was um, in Afghanistan uh, serving with a special tactics unit when he he specifically was hit by a 107 rocket and um, thrown out onto the desert floor, broke his back at the T1, T2, um, and became instantly paralyzed from the chest down. Um, I was six months pregnant with our daughter. I was living in Tacoma, Washington at the time, and um, three men came to my door from our squadron at 6 a.m., uh, told me that, uh, that Nathan had been hit, and um, they didn't know if he was going to survive. And so the next several hours were me just kind of talking to God, praying, crying, um, Mm. and panicking because I couldn't get to him. I couldn't put hands on him. I couldn't talk to him. I couldn't pray over him and with him. And um, so within um, about, I don't know, 12 hours or so, they told me that Nathan had a paralysis and uh, from the chest down that he couldn't currently feel his legs. He couldn't move his hands, uh, couldn't shrug shoulders. And they didn't realize or know at the time um, if that would be life altering or if it was going to be temporary uh, based on the shrapnel damage that he had taken to torso and lower trunk um, legs. Um, So while Nathan came back, uh, because I tell people all the time, one of the key things that I was prayed over for Nathan, prayed over Nathan, was that Nathan would come back to me with all 10 fingers, all 10 toes and his mental sanity, just so he knew who I was, like we could get through anything if he had all 10 fingers, all 10 toes and his mental sanity. And he came back with all 10 fingers and all 10 toes and his mental sanity. Um, so I intercepted him within about 48 hours. I left Tacoma, Washington, um, went to Bethesda, Maryland to Walter Reed to hopefully intercept him there. Um, and he was strong enough to move from uh, Kandahar, Bagram, both in Afghanistan and then came through Longstuhl, Germany, and then on to Walter Reed, where he had um, follow-on care. And so, um, yeah, that was uh, that was heavy. That was that was a big deal. Um, two years later, oh, just shy of two years later, he was um, released from the hospital, and then we moved to the Emerald Coast to wow. seek new normal. Wow. Yeah. What What was your relationship like with? Jesus during that time? Were y'all, were y'all in the church and, and were you so, strong in your faith? 
Yeah, so we, we had a home church in Tacoma that we really loved going to. We loved the pastor. And, of course, uh, one of the men that showed up at my door was our chaplain for our squadron. And he went to church there also, so I knew him very, very well. Um, I was uh, brought up in the church from a very young age in northeast Arkansas and grew up in Jonesboro and went to First Baptist Church there. And so I was in church every time the door was open and my parents were shuffling us in and doing youth ministry. Um, when I got to be kind of that young junior high age, we didn't have a youth ministry in our church uh, for teenagers. So you kind of automatically went up into big church. And so going into big church, I started hearing more of the fire and brimstone sermon that I was never going to make it and never going to be good enough. And I was terrible, horrible, and no good. And um, so for probably my high school and my college life, I actually didn't attend church because I thought, well, if I'm terrible and horrible and no good, then why do I want a relationship? Like, why would God want a relationship with me if I'm terrible, horrible, and no good? So um, I kind of fell off, you know, with my activities in church and really following God um, for about 10, maybe 12 years. Um, and then I started kind of diving back in. I was always very prayerful though, because I kind of held out a little hope. Like maybe that pastor got it wrong uh, or maybe the delivery wasn't, wasn't what was intended because that's not what I grew up learning. I grew up learning about this love and respect and forgiveness and boldness and, and just wanting a relationship. And then you go to the complete polar opposite of, um, you know, you're no good and might as well be pond scum. You know what I mean? So uh, with Nate's injury, I, um, I, had a, I had been going to church. I'd been uh, kind of surrounding myself with other Christian women, uh, not only in my neighborhood, but within the church, within the squadron, um, which kind of helped fill my cup uh, a little bit, you know, through those times where, you know, they're deployed and we're just praying over them. Because uh, you can't, you can't uh, prophesize, prophesy, uh, prophesy in the military. They don't really like it. Um, so they don't really have you do it at squadron too much. If you do it behind closed doors, that's fine. But um, yeah, so throughout Nate's injury, I knew God was with us and it was his journey and not ours. Um, and it was, that was pretty easy to see uh, because when you leave your warm bed and your home and a nursery that you've been working on for months uh, so that your husband can come back from his deployment, be comfortable and be with baby and be with you and, and the house is nice um, you leave all that behind and you leave with two duffel bags um, without any kind of semblance of time or idea. If you're coming back to that home, if you're coming back to your cars, um, you're just going and nothing matters. The house can burn down. The cars can be stolen. It's just so far like out there in the prioritization level of life that you don't want it. It's like any material items, my parents had even asked me, they said like, who's who's gonna, you know, uh, 
pay your bills. And I said, they're all online. I'll pay the bills. They're just auto pay. And she was like, well, aren't you worried about your car? And I'm like, I'm not worried about the car. Like cars are replaceable. I've got to get to Nathan because that's not replaceable. Mm. Um, Mm. That's, that's huge. And I need to just be with them. Like anything else I'll deal with. So, so. So talk to us a little bit about what happened. You got there to Walter Reed, a little bit of your journey since the accident and where y'all are today. Oh, so that's that's a loaded one. Um, landed at, at uh, Walter Reed, uh, went and stayed in the Fisher house. And I had a kind of a liaison who was updating me fairly quickly, 30 minutes to an hour. I was just, We were getting new information, so we were sitting downstairs um, just kind of like trying to make a plan without information, which is very hard. And then, of mm-hmm. course, you know, I'm just I'm sitting, sitting there praying and um, just wanting everything to just be okay, right? Just wanting everything to be okay. And um, so Nathan arrived... Uh, on a medevac bus from Andrews Air Force Base. He had come in on a C-130 medical flight from Lawnstool, and they put him in an ambulance that's kind of like an 18-wheeler. And so my liaison and I are standing outside the Walter Reed doors there to where they're going to release everybody, and they kind of come into the backside of the hospital. Um, And my liaison looks at me, and um, says, okay, the walking wounded are going to come out first, and then Nate's going to be the first gurney that comes out. And I said, okay. And, of course, I'm, you know, shaking because I have no clue what I'm going to be looking at. And um, so about probably 20 people walk off the bus um, first, and these people are more like your PTSD, your uh, moral injury, or just broken bones, like minor injuries that needed to be treated that can't be treated in country uh, during the deployment. So they, they move them back to Bethesda. Um, with Nathan's gurney, I knew what a gurney looked like. My mom had worked in hospitals for years, so I knew what a gurney looked like. But Nathan was covered with a, uh, a quilt um, that had somebody had made and in, in Germany for wounded veterans. He was covered with a quilt. And I couldn't see his face or his body or his arms or anything because there was machines covering him. So uh, one machine was keeping him breathing. One machine was giving him medicine. And another machine was, you know, doing whatever else it was doing. Um, and they rolled him up and... Um, I was only able to kiss him on the forehead, and I just remember when I kissed him on the forehead, he was he was asleep, he was he was not awake, um, and he tasted like salt and like sand, still, and uh, yeah, it was hard. Wow. And so uh, I walked with him upstairs, well, behind the gurney, and. Um, they were taken, they were disconnecting him from the machines, reconnecting him to the machines in his room uh, to do the same job to keep him alive and sedated. And uh, I'll never forget this doctor came up to me and, you know, I'm standing there outside the window of his 
door and I can see in because I'm not allowed in and there's like 10, 15 people in there, um, you know, talking and moving and shuffling around and disconnecting this hose and reconnecting it over here and pulling it around. And um, this one doctor comes up to me and he's eating a muffin and he's probably 30, uh, 20, 25 to 30. And he says, um, with a mouthful of muffin, he goes, um, are you Jennifer Nelson? And I said, yep. And I'm crying and shaking and kind of just being more stern, like living in kind of a twilight zone. And I've got Nate's commander next to me. His name's Kurt Bullers, fantastic Christian man. Got Chief Gleffy to my side. Other fantastic man, man of God. They're in uniform, and then I've got my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, my bonus mom, and a couple other people standing there. <laughs> and um, he comes up and he says, uh, oh, I just looked at your husband's chart. He's paralyzed. He'll never walk again. Um, and he's got a mouthful of muffin while he's, while he's talking to me. And so in that moment, I really didn't care who was standing there, but I, I, used, I used some choice language. Um, to tell him that that was terrible and that he had not even put hands on my husband. I hadn't even put hands on my husband. And I said, you know, what do you know from a chart? I'm sure you can, you know, deduce a few things from a chart, but you need to go and actually do a, a physical. And he was like, oh, yeah, I deal with this all the time. I'm the neurosurgeon. And I'm like, get, just get out of my face. Like, I'm, you're no longer his neurosurgeon. So, um, yeah, that yeah. was tough. So Wow. That's, Sorry if I ran that's out of tough. No, but there. it's 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 real. Yeah. You know, these are real things. And uh, Jennifer, I know that, you know, kind of fast forwarding a little bit to today, y'all live here in the Destin, Florida area. You have two beautiful children. I, I see your husband and you know, y'all out and about and I know you're living a a fruitful life today. I, I know like everybody, you, you, you have your challenges. It's not easy. Talk to us a little bit about that. You know, <clears throat> how you overcome, uh, overcame a lot of this adversity mm -hmm. from where you were then yeah. to maintain faith. You know, I know you're, you're going to church and you're, yeah. how have you done that throughout so, this adversity? You know, when you're given no hope, like everybody around you is like giving you no hope that anything's going to be normal. Um, it's, it is, it's hard to, to say like, God, where, where is this journey going to take us? Because you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel when you're in it, when you're in the thick of the battle, you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel and what good can come out of it. Thank you. And, um, so Nate spent about 15 months in the hospital um, I gave birth to Eva a few months after he got um, stateside. And then, you know, it was just kind of setting up a little bitty like nursery pack and play in his room and going to therapy with him. And therapy was excruciatingly painful, physically, emotionally, mentally challenging for him, but also for me because... Um, every time I was like, oh man, like you're doing so good, he would... He would look at me and be like, please don't champion me for picking up marbles and putting them in a jar. And and I'm like, no, but this is good. Like you're getting, you know, your fine motor skills back. Um, 
but for Nathan, he had been used to flipping tractor tires, you know, for with the 22nd and coming down here to Hurlbert and, and being with Gwen Armfeld and, and the, the guys from the ST community here and, you know, doing fireman carry and two mile runs and with each other, you know, it, it picking up marbles was easy and elementary. Uh, so it took a painful, emotionally, mentally, physically painful distance. And one of the biggest things we were told is this it's a marathon not a sprint and you don't know when the marathon's going to end and when you don't have any hope and you got a lot of naysayers around you the only the only thing you can rely on is God and the word of God because that is hope and so we drove inward to God we we drew closer to God we're post-injury a decade they said that Nate would never drive. He drives. He's been driving for eight years. He's Amen. on his fourth van, I think. Yeah. Um, they said he'd never play ball with his daughter and son. He plays ball. They said he would never um, work again. He's He was the former director of military affairs for Congressman Matt Gates. He's currently working for IS4S. He's still a mover and a shaker, and he's mm. praising God through it. Um, and, and I'm incredibly proud of him for that. He, he does all kinds of public speaking also. Yes. Um, and, you know, it's only God at the end of the day. Yeah. Only God. Only God brought us through. It, it, you know, maybe God didn't bring us to it. He might have. But God did bring us through it. And he's continuing to bless us on the back yeah. end and give us opportunities to share our story. But um, Well, I just think, too, it's such a great testimony of y'all's marriage. Because I, I just see how hard it is today for marriages staying together without nearly this type of adversity, mm-hmm. you know. And I know how it must have been hard, so hard for y'all, you know, going through this adversity and keeping your marriage together and keeping, you know, growing, you know, your marriage. I know, I'm sure, I know yeah. it hasn't been easy, but just I want to, you know, commend y'all on that. Um, any... At this point in the show, I really want to kind of get to the advice section because our, our, our goal with the show is to minister to people out there that might relate with this story, mm-hmm. you know, that are going through things today, through adversity in their marriage, adversity in life if they're not married. Um, Jennifer, what what advice do you have, you know, for, for folks listening out there today? So one thing that I've, um, I've had a lot of experience with, not just with, you know, through Nate's injury and, and, but in our larger community. Um, one thing that I've noticed is, is that, um, God's not center, uh, in a marriage or in, in the life, right? So you, the Bible tells us that we are, we're two beings. We come together as one in the marriage under God, right? And, you know, when you're not, recognizing that you are one and that you're pointing towards the one. The one, God, has to guide that marriage, bless that marriage. You're not going into any challenge alone. You're going into it with your your other half of your one, and then you're going into it with God. And so if you're not prayerfully going to God with each choice and then actively listening to the whispers from God, 
if you're not actively engaged and willing to wait because God says no a lot. Believe me, I'm living proof. (laughs) God says no a lot. Uh, God says no a lot, but God also says be patient. And kind of like we were talking earlier is some things are for a season, some people are for a season, and some people and reason uh, are for a reason. So there are times where you're going to face challenges in a marriage, in parenting, finances, your job, and it, it, it can be seasonal or it can be reason-based. But you got to know you're not in it alone. And I see so many people trying to strong arm their lives or strong arm their marriage and control, 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 being forceful about even just the routine minutia of, of life that they forget to rely on God and say, God, where, where am I in this journey? How is this journey meant to glorify you? Because you tell me in the good book, all of, all of this glorifies you, all of the challenges. I guess my best advice is, is if you've been trying to control your life and it's not worked out for you and you've omitted God from the equation or your marriage or your parenting and it's not working out in your favor, try God <laughs> because he's there and he's waiting to pull, pull you up. All you have to do is reach out your hand and say, I need help. I need help. I need you. I need you in the center of my life, in the center of my marriage, in the center of my parenting because I'm trying to strong arm this and I can't get it right and it's failing miserably, but I know it's supposed to glorify you. And so I need you in the equation so that it can glorify you. So I think that'd probably be my best advice. That's good, Jennifer. Well, and there are three things on this show that we talk about is in terms of you exploring a relationship with God. And the first way is to read his written word, the Bible. That is the, the handbook he left for us, our instruction manual. That is the primary way that he speaks to us. And the Bible is very accessible today. If you don't have one, you can get the Uversion app very quickly on your phone. Destiny Worship Center has an app. You can download either one of those. Just open it up and start reading. And then the second thing we encourage you to do is to find a local church. God does not want us to do life alone or online or, you know, get in a local church. Give it one year. We promise it will change your life. And then when you get in the local church, get in a, in a small group, a life group, an accountability group, folks that can come around you and help you walk through, uh, you know, the challenges of life. So folks, we just tell you, if you can do these things, we, we, we promise that your life will change and you will grow in a personal relationship with, with God. So Jennifer, is there anything else that you wanted to share? Probably just one more nugget of truth, kind of off your three things. Church is not for perfect people. It wasn't started by perfect people. It's, it's for people who say, I can't do it alone and I need God in the center of my life. And the small groups are about reaching for a closer relationship with Christ. And you do that through people. Um, 
we all have a walk and we all have a journey. And, and I've often said it like this, and it's in there, that one of my dearest friends is a mountain climber. She's awesome. And she's also a amputee. She, has a, a, she and I have a lot of talks about this, but you never go climbing alone. So whether you're doing Mount Everest, you're doing Denali, you're doing Kilimanjaro, you're going up to uh, Pigeon Forge and, and doing that, you know, in the Blue Ridge. You're not going alone and you shouldn't go alone. And when you pick up your Bible, you're not going through life alone, you're going with God. And when you come to church, you're not going through life alone, you're going with your church body and your people. And um, so if, if you're on a mountain or what feels like a mountain, you need people to help pick you up when you stumble and fall. And that's, that's where I believe that church and the Bible come into play and God, because we all, we all need help. And this is where you can find it. Amen. And, and I also wanted to mention Jennifer wrote a book about her story. It's called Divine Soldier. You can find the book Divine Soldier by Jennifer Nelson on Amazon, and you could get more details about their story. Jennifer, this has been so great. I know this is going to bless a lot of people. Thanks so much for coming on today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Road to Redemption, sharing powerful life testimonies, giving hope to those on their own road to redemption. If you have any comments or questions, we would love to connect with you. You can reach out to us at destinyradio.live. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week on Road to Redemption. Road to Redemption.